Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Welcome to the Drawing Room, a space for intimate and surprising conversation. I'm Andy Park. In May last year, the Taliban once again took control of Afghanistan following the withdrawal of US military forces. The regime promised to respect women's rights, but the reality has been a return to earlier restrictions, the restriction of jobs, study and even basic human rights. In 2001, the Canadian author Deborah Ellis wrote the first book in her Breadwinner series, which introduced readers to Parvana, a young Afghan girl, and her struggles to overcome her place in society. This year, Deb is taking us back to Afghanistan, where an adult Parvana and her family must escape once more. Deborah Ellis, welcome to you. Come on in, take a seat. Thank you very much for having me. I imagine this wasn't a book that you were hoping to write. No, I had not planned on on writing another uh, version of or chapter in Parvana's story, but when we saw the events of uh, August of 2021 and the um, terrible scenes at the at the airport and the and the uh, hopes dashed, <laughs> um, I thought this would be a way I could raise a little bit more money. So that's why I wrote it. So just take me back to the beginning. How did you come to write the first book in this series? And what brought you to the stories of Afghanistan and its people? Um, I've, I first saw the headlines in the Toronto newspapers. I'm, I'm live, I live in Ontario in Canada. And back when the Taliban first took over in Afghanistan. And as a woman in Canada, I get to do a lot of what I want to do. I'm not terribly restricted by the fact that I'm a female. So when the news of the terrible crimes against women hit the newspapers, as a feminist, I wanted to do something. And so I, I did a few sort of organizing things in Toronto, but I'm, I'm not very good at that. But I thought that one thing I could do would be to go over to the refugee camps in Pakistan and collect the stories of at least some of the women who had been fleeing the Taliban and the many years of war leading up to the Taliban. And, and bring back those stories so that we could understand a little bit better what they were going through and what that meant to them. So while I was in Pakistan meeting with so many amazing women and men and children, I heard the stories of girls who would pretend to be boys in order to go out into the city and earn money, which was the only money the family had. And it was such an incredible story of courage that I wanted to share that with young people in my part of the world uh, to let them know that they have courage within them. And it was another way that I could um, raise some money and be a little bit of use. You've written five books following Parvana now. How has her life changed over that time as, as Afghanistan itself has changed over that time? Well, the first couple of books have Parvana as a child, uh, wandering through Afghanistan, trying to find her family, trying to cope with the war that's going on there, the violence, the uncertainty. The, um, the third book or the fourth book in the series has Parvana living in a post-Taliban world and trying to adjust to that where she has not had stability as a child and she's now striving to kind of find her feet in this new world. In uh, the last book, One More Mountain, which is the, the new book that came just came out, Parvana is a grown-up. She and Shazia 
have been building this community of of girls and women and schools and and doing these great things over the past 20 years and then the Taliban come into power again and it seems like all that they have worked for has just been taken away and they have to react to that they have to figure out what to do in this new world and of course there are new children in their lives and and those children are also having to deal with this reality. Yeah, you tell this story through many characters, really. You've got the young woman who fled an arranged marriage, the young son of Parvana. How do those different perspectives allow you to show different aspects of, of the country? Well, I, I write novels for children primarily, so I needed to have children as characters. And it kind of made sense that, I don't know, I just kind of saw Parvana with this with this kid married to it. Um, and I saw her married to a Asif who she met in the second book and they were always arguing as children because they, they were lost and alone and trying to find their way and arguing kept them going. I wanted to bring in new people, but also carry on with a lot of the people that have been in the books before and try to imagine who they are now based on who they were before and what they might've gone through. Of course, good writers rely on their imagination. Great writers rely on their imagination and their research. So what are, what are the sorts of research mechanisms you use to go into these books? Who do you talk to and, and how do you uh, collate those ideas? Well, as much as possible, I, I go over there and, and meet with people and, and learn directly from them the kinds of things that they've experienced. And uh, when that's not possible, such as last August, uh, I do, do as much research as I can, talk to and, and learn from as many people who've been there as possible, and and just try to put together a story that reflects the realities on the ground, while still being a, a fictional story that children who read the books can relate to, and then can maybe see those pictures in their mind of what it must be like. And then also to be able to connect their own lives outside of Afghanistan to what children in Afghanistan are having to go through and what's the similarities, what's the differences, how can they relate to those characters? Because certainly uh, one of the responsibilities really as a non-Afghan writer is to ensure that the, the story rings true, has authenticity. And uh, I suppose your mechanism there is to access those voices, to really amplify those voices to, to children who, uh, you know, uh, growing up in this world need to know of these realities. Yeah, my, my kind of philosophy around all of, all of what goes into a book for children is that if we are ashamed to have children read it in a, in a novel, uh, then we shouldn't be doing it in real life. And if we are continuing to wage war on one another, if we're continuing to uh, create situations where children are abused or live in poverty or experience uh, degradation and racism and oppression, if we are allowing that to happen in real life and we are ashamed of it, then we need to fix it. It's, um, it's, I'm not a parent, so I think if I were, I might have a different perspective. I'm not sure. But I believe, and I've experienced in my 20 years now of doing this, that children are capable of understanding a lot and that it doesn't help anybody to shield them. We just need to understand, we figure out a way that they can, we can present the material so that they can relate to it in, in a way that they can understand it and 
feel like they might be able to have some kind of power in the situation. You mentioned that yourself, you're not a parent, and I'm curious about in your career, if you've come across many children's authors who are not parents, is that usual or unusual? I don't think it's either usual or unusual. Uh, what drives us to writing for children is as much a mystery as what drives anybody to, to do anything, I think. I, yeah, I know a lot of great writers for young people who are parents and a lot of great writers who are not. But, you know, we all have in common the fact that we once were children and um, we can remember a lot of those feelings that we used to have of, of powerlessness, of great joy, of curiosity, of frustration. And I mean, those are pretty universal feelings. There's a scene in this book where Parvana and the women uh, with her paint over a colourful wall of the house with a drab grey colour. That has a lot of layers about what's happening to the characters and the country at this point. It seems like a metaphor. Is that what you're intending? <laughs> I, no, <laughs> I, I, no, but that's really cool that you said that because now that you say it, of course, I can see it. But at the time, I was just thinking they've got to hide who they are. They've got to hide where they are. And they've got to make it difficult for the Taliban to identify them. That's all I was thinking of when I wrote the scene. But the colorful, brilliant, wonderful um, painting that was on that gateway that they painted over is still there under the paint. The same as when women have to wear the burqa or when we, we have to masquerade in many ways around the world, we are still ourselves underneath all of that. So we haven't disappeared. We're just having to figure out how to live in the reality that, that faces us. And in Afghanistan, in the story, they were trying to make themselves as unrecognizable as possible so that they could be safe and continue to live and thrive, hopefully thrive. The character Mariam, Parvana's sister, is a famous singer and someone who's been allowed to grow up without the fear of what could happen. A very different uh, worldview to the worldview of Parvana. Yeah, Miriam. Um, in the fourth book, she we see a little bit of her wanting to like be a pop star and 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 do all of that. And in the fifth fifth book, she has been able to fulfill her dreams. And she's a little bit spoiled for for sure. But Parvana's philosophy on that, when she's asked about it, even though Miriam, her younger sister, is very exasperating, Parvana's philosophy is that there should be at least one woman in that country who gets to have enough, <laughs> enough attention, enough fulfillment of her wishes, enough, enough of every, of what she needs. And so Parvana has not had that. So maybe she's a little bit indulgent of her little sister for those reasons, just, oh, there must be some, at least one woman over there who gets to have what she wants. This book includes the evacuation of Kabul and the attack on the yes. airport during that ev evacuation. Just going back to what you said before about we need to be honest with children. If it's if we allow it in reality, we should allow it in their stories. What did you want to show readers about that moment uh, in uh, the, the the story of Kabul? I, I wanted to show that it had happened. For one thing, events move very quickly in this world, and we forget one atrocity melds into another atrocity. And I wanted 
this to be in, in some small way, a little bit of a historical document that remembers what happened on, on that day, remembers those people, remembers that we have allowed a world to happen where people die in open sewers, which is, we should not have that. We should not have that. We know better than that. We know how to treat people well. We know how to look after one another. We know how to make sure everybody can eat. We know how to do this stuff. And the fact that we don't, we need to like slap ourselves upside the head and, and get a grip and do better than we do. So that's partly why I can I put that scene in there. I also put it in there to show both the kindness of the soldiers, the um, difficulty of the situation, and the desperation of people who wanted to get out and, and live some kind of a better life than they were thinking was going to happen to them. On ABCRN, I'm Andy Park. Deborah Ellis is my guest in the drawing room. And we're talking about One More Mountain, the latest book in her Breadwinner series. You've told stories set in Afghanistan, Malawi, Iran, but but also Toronto. So what attracts you to a particular country or a particular story? I mean, you mentioned courage earlier. Is that a common thing? Yeah, that's probably the most common thing. We, uh, as all of us around the world, no matter what our circumstances, have to have courage in our regular lives, in big ways and in small ways, and sometimes we are able to be courageous and sometimes we are not. And I find it quite interesting to look at how we make that decision to be either courageous or to not have courage. And I, I, I do believe it's a decision. And so I write a lot about that. Uh, we can often get um, courage from looking at other people's examples of courage. And, and so for children reading the books about Afghanistan, for example, they, they might not have the same life as Pravana, but they still have to have courage to face what they are looking at in their own lives. Um, and so they can see Parvana struggling and then breaking through and doing what she needs to do. And then they can maybe think, okay, maybe I can be like Parvana in this situation. And you know, that's always a good thing. Across almost all of your books, you're using fiction to tell stories of what's happening, that kind of idea we're talking about in terms of the reality of, of the world we live in and, and what's happening outside their homes. You're also grappling with some pretty heavy issues. How, how do you approach a story of human rights or HIV AIDS when the audience is just so young? That's, that's a, I'm, I'm hesitating to answer that question because I don't really know the answer. I generally just work on how to, how to get into the story from my own understanding. Um, the editor I, I work with in, in Canada, Shelley Tanaka, uh, she helps to bring it back down to a, a, or bring it to a place where children will be able to understand it. If I go way off the rails, she kind of reins me in. It's, it's looking at people's lives and what we all have in common, and then figuring out how that issue would impact that person. So when I, I did a book um, called No Ordinary Day, that takes place in India. In uh, it's about a girl who finds out that she has leprosy. So I wanted to try to figure out how the child would react, how what they would know, what they would not know, and through that introduce the readers to the issue of leprosy and and how we cope with it. 
You mentioned at the start that one of the reasons why you wanted to write a new Parvana book was to raise money, and that's part of your story. Mm-hmm. You don't just write these books, you donate much of the money the books make to non, uh, not-for-profit groups. How do you choose them, and, and why mm-hmm. do you make that the choice here? Uh, the choice is, well, it, the choice to do it just makes sense. Uh, I I have been an anti-war activist and a feminist since I was a kid. So to be able to do something with uh, writing is wonderful. And one of the things that I can do with it is raise awareness and raise a bit of money. How I choose the organizations, they're usually ones that um, work on the ground in the situation that have a Canadian connection. So my publisher can just easily send them a check from Canada to Canada and um, whose work that I, I like and respect. And that's kind of how I do it. Is it fair to say that these aren't just stories for you? Uh, they're a way to change the world, really, aren't they? Especially with the young minds who are absorbing the stories in the pages of the books you write. Uh, I don't like I don't like things that don't make sense. War doesn't make sense. Uh, our like uh, the way we treat other people doesn't it doesn't make sense. We can fix the things that don't make sense. And so we we also tend to really remember the books that we read when we're children. Uh, I can recite whole passages from books I read when I was a kid, in part because we read them over and over again, but in part, reading is such a magical thing, especially when we're young and just discovering it, that the books really enter our brains in a special, deep way. So my kind of hope for these books is that when children read them and then they grow up again, and when they grow up to be adults and their government says it's time to go to war, they might think, really? Do we really need to do that? Or is there a better way? Do we really need to create more pain and more suffering? Or is there a better way? That's kind of a long shot hope, but uh, that's part of part of why I do it. Such a beautiful sentiment. Uh, Deborah, thank you so much for your time. It's been great to talk to you and congratulations on this latest book. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot. Deborah Ellis has been my guest in the drawing room and One More Mountain is out now through Alan and Unwin. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.